Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now, you've found it. This is Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world, with your host, Alan Smith, a veteran of OTR trucking, business entrepreneur, and the most recognized name for assisting CDL students and new graduates. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Truth About Trucking Live begins right now. All right, Thursday, February 14th, 2013, Valentine's Day. Welcome back to the show, one and all. Hope you all remembered the Valentine in your life today. Wouldn't want anyone to be stuck in the doghouse. That isn't any fun. Thanks for tuning in. This evening, I'm Alan Smith, along with Donna Smith, and uh, I saw Donna just make it with two seconds to go. So, uh, Donna, I guess uh, we'll be spending our Valentine's Day evening uh, right here on Blog Talk Radio, huh? Well, that's that's where I want to be. I, I know you had asked me if I wanted to go out to dinner tonight, and I said, no, do the show. So, um <laughs> ready when we're done. Yeah, I said, let's you know, let's go out wherever you want to go. He said, well, let's do a BTR show. All right, so here we are. And I saw you pop in there finally at the chat room. I think there was like two seconds left before we went live. I know. I couldn't get in, as usual. I, I don't know what I do, but at the last minute I came in. So. All right, well, good. Well, they're kind of coming in. We've got a few here on the lines. We'll. Um, uh, it's just open forum this evening, whatever anyone wants to talk about. And... Uh, Donna, I don't know if you have any topics lined up. I didn't do much prepping, but we'll just kind of go with the flow, huh? Yeah. Um, well, I know I know uh, Richard's uh, calling in, and and he's going to be talking about the uh, Mixac meeting that went on on the fifth and sixth, and uh, bring everybody up to date about the fault on crashes. Um, I know a lot of drivers are upset because. You know, if if been an accident and it's not their fault, um, it's they're still responsible, or they get points. The carrier gets points, so it's a big deal right now. And uh, anyway, he's going to bring us up to date on everything that, that went on on that meeting. He was he was there, so he knows firsthand. So anyway, I'm looking forward to hearing all that. Well, all right, we'll get rolling. This trucking open forum night. When we open up the phone line to discuss whatever is on your mind as it relates to drivers and the industry, and if there are no callers, we go to plan B, and that is you have to listen to me and Donna blab through the whole show, and you don't want that, but don't have to worry about that. We already have listeners on the line. Some of the hands are already up, so we'll get rolling. So our call-in number, 347-826-9170, so come join the conversation as we take off with Trucking Open Forum coming up on Truth About Trucking Live.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. I hear from a lot of newcomers to the industry who still have that entrepreneur spirit that has made the United States of America the great country that she is. And many of them still have one goal in mind, and that is to someday have their own rig and become an owner-operator. Truth About Trucking Live is all about providing honest, reliable information about the OTR trucking industry, especially for those just beginning their truck driving careers. Running your own trucking business is part of the entrepreneurial spirit that has kept America moving since truck were first used by the military in World War One. If you're considering starting your own owner-operated business, there's only one name that you need to know, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing. LoneMountainTruck.com offers the best lease purchase plans in the industry. There's no huge balloon payment at the end, and when you make that final monthly payment, they hand over the title, the truck is yours. They require a very reasonable down payment, and the monthly payments are kept at an affordable $1,000 per month, and sometimes even less. A great inventory to choose from, including Peterbilt's, Volvo's, Internationals, and Freightliners, and all of their trucks are mechanically checked out, dependable, and ready to go to work. And unlike trucking company leases, if you choose to change motor carriers, the truck goes with you. It's your truck. Check them out at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free, 866-512-5685. LoneMountainTruck.com, the honest guys for the sweet lease deals. LoneMountainTruck.com. Man, it's crowded tonight. Care if I join you? Sure, have a seat. Sorry about the paperwork. <laughs> Name's Cole. Appreciate it. I'm Harlan, by the way. Here's a fill-up for you guys. Thanks, honey. Harlan, you look hungry. What can I get you? I'll have a Coke and whatever he's having. Back in a bit. What are you doing with all this paperwork, driver? Looks like you're tripping over your trip sheets. want to get a jump on these taxes before they jump me. There is a better way to manage your trucking paperwork. With TripSheetCentral.com, you're a login away from tracking every aspect of your business. TripSheetCentral.com organizes your information easily so you can see how your business is performing. That sounds easy. And it's fast. Time-consuming paperwork is eliminated with a low-cost monthly subscription. I no longer have to worry about invoices, settlement reports, or fuel tax returns. TripSheetCentral.com does that for me. Manage your business information securely with TripSheet Central. Visit TripSheetCentral.com at your next stop. This is Truth About Trucking Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at truthabouttrucking.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, trucking open forum this evening on Truth About Trucking Live. There's always issues to discuss, debate, inform, ask questions, seek solutions when it comes to the trucking industry. So it all depends on where you, the caller, wants to start. And uh, Donna, I guess you're just ready to get rolling here? I'm ready. (laughs) Caught you with a mute button off again. (laughs) All right, well, let's just go down the line, and, you know, we can have two, three, four callers on at a time as long as the connections are good, but I see Richard Wilson is uh, up and ready to roll, so we'll just go, and we'll get the ball rolling here. So, Richard, uh, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing good, doing good. How are you guys doing tonight? We are hanging in there, I guess. We just uh, took a nice, easy day off and didn't really do much of anything. Wow. That's a good day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when Alan's idea of not doing anything 
is being at the computer all day long. So uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna just you know confront him on that one. Well, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> your, your day your day off is a day at work for me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I did most of it yesterday. I threw up some posts and wrote some articles for a few online things and. And um, I don't know. I kind of been I've been sitting here all day. I can't really say what I've been doing, but um, <laughs> you know, oh well. There's always something to do, you know. Yeah. Yesterday, I wrote I wrote my article for our monthly newsletter and and got that out of the way, which is basically what we're going to discuss tonight. And uh, reported, you know, on and had a, a meeting at work on the uh, Mixac subcommittee report and. Uh, <clears throat> then I had to run around today to a few smaller clients and, you know, getting myself ready for my grand opening on my other little business this weekend. So, um, well, tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, I've, um, I have another hobby. Uh, I've been involved in uh, Civil War reenacting for quite a few years and, uh, just kind of uh, with my schedule being what it is, unfortunately, uh, I can't attend like I used to. And so I've uh, taken my collection of Civil War items, being the fact that this is a 150th anniversary of Gettysburg. Um, and it's anybody that does collectibles or, or uh, memorabilia or relics and stuff like that, you have a tendency, you know, the prices of stuff sort of fall off and it kind of gets stale and then there's like this resurgence. So I figured now was a good time to, you know, um, clean house a little bit while the market was good. So uh, local antique um, alley, which is a like a consignment antique store, um, I opened a booth and uh loaded everything up and Saturday we're having our grand opening. So Well congratulations. Well thank you, thank you. And uh today I was at I went by today, dropped some stuff off and uh the lady looked at me and she says, My God, we are not even really technically open yet, but we've had several people in there. She said, I think you broke the record in the antique antique store for the most sales in the first week before you were ever even open. Oh wow. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah, it's a good sign to a good sign of things to come, so Yeah, that's that's awesome. Well Yeah, that's good, you know, 'cause we we like that uh that antique road show, you know. Oh, I love that show. Yeah, they have some pretty awesome yeah, things down there. Don't, don't don't we all except that uh unfortunately uh they 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 can help you, but then all of a sudden, other people that used to bring stuff to us and didn't know what it was and was looking for a little pocket change, we could buy stuff rather uh, at very good deals. Now they watch Antiques Roadshow. When they come in there, they think that uh, the bobby pin they had from their great-great-great-grandmother that happened to uh, be married to a Civil War soldier went from being worth 50 cents to $50,000. Wow. I know. Uh, The highlights on that show, they don't show the thousands of people who go in there and have a bust. I want to make one, I'm going to just make one little announcement first before I bust, Alan. Um, We are having the um, uh, third annual Truck Driver Social Media Convention, and it is going to occur in October. Uh, The 
tentative date so far, and it's like 90% for this date is October uh, 10th, 11th, and what is it? What is that? Uh, 11th. Uh, 11, 12, and 13, yeah. is that it? It's that week? Yeah, 11, 12, and 13th. Okay. And our um, presenting sponsor this year is Pilot Flying J, and we're thrilled to death uh, to have them on board with us and to be um, partners with us in this. So uh, thank you very much, Pilot. Um, we're really excited, and we can't wait to get going. Um, I'll probably have a little more detail uh, later on in the show, but right now I know everybody was waiting, writing, calling, uh, text messaging, emailing, whatever. What about the convention? So um, we'll have a a brand-new website up uh, and for more information and announcements on it on Ask the Trucker, Facebook, Twitter, and so forth within the next week. Yeah, and I know you're just – Dying to tell some other things, but <laughs> oh yeah, there's another big thing about it. Yeah, we're we're. It, I can't say that yet. Yeah, we're waiting to confirm everything up, but uh, yeah, probably uh, it's gonna it's gonna be pretty good. So <laughs> yeah, it's gonna blow socks off. I'll say that it blew mine off. Yeah, so you're you're biting your tongue. I know. So <laughs> okay, well, good. Well, listen, Richard. Okay, you um. So you were at this CSA subcommittee meeting back on the 5th and 6th, and they were, uh, I guess there was three three major issues they were looking at uh, for the CSA thing, the crash accountability, the the data issues, how they collect the records, I guess, and the uh, public display of the carrier's uh, safety measurement system scores, I guess. So, but, so you were actually there, so... I've uh, been reading a lot about it, but it's kind of good to hear it from someone who was there. Yeah, um, it was really uh, it was a very interesting meeting. Um, a couple things generated the uh, the purpose of the meeting, as everybody knows. Um, <clears throat> the last um, House subcommittee meeting, they pretty much lambasted the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration their handling of the CSA. And I will, as everybody knows that that has heard me speak on the importance of drivers getting involved and sending in information, um, drivers, our drivers are really stepping and raising the bar and they're contacting their senators and their representatives. And um, and, and the uh, congressional uh, committees are actually, you know, I've been getting a lot of feedback, you know, on the good information it's been getting and they're, and they're reading it. And um, they're they're um, they're listening to what the drivers are saying, and we've and you know you and Donna and myself have been preaching this, and uh, it's starting to really come to fruition. And and I got a really good sense uh, out of this meeting that the information that we've been sh- uh, sharing um, has done you know is starting starting to uh, take effect on things. So. Um, going back a little bit here, um, <clears throat> the, everybody understands the CSA, and now that the CSA is actually in its third year, what's happening is data that's being collected is starting to um, uh, formulate um, whether or not the CSA is efficient or whether it, um, the data is incomplete, which the general consensus is now that the data coming in is incomplete and that the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration basically has 
when they set it up, as everybody knows, CSA was based on an enforcement tool to spread the Federal Motor Carrier around a little bit more and make more people accessible so they could do a better job of, you know, uh, taking the bad carriers off the streets. What's happened is, unfortunately, the way it was designed and set up, it's affecting carriers with bogus information and their ability to make a living and to get freight. And people like brokers and uh, shippers are taking advantage, and insurance companies especially, are taking uh, advantage of the uh, incomplete uh, data and causing carriers and and smaller carriers especially to uh, lose availability to get the good freight. Um, So when this was brought up, uh the the subcommittee or the the uh, federal the mix act committee itself formed a subcommittee to review CSA and report back to it on the negatives as well as the positives atri atri just concluded a study that stated that out of the seven basics two of the basics had no correlation to crash relevance, which means, let's review real quickly the seven basics, unsafe driving, hours of service, um, driver fitness, drug and alcohol, um, maintenance, cargo securement, which is now hazmat, which that's you, Alan. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. that's me. And 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 uh crash. So uh what's happened is they've determined with their study that driver fitness, which basically has has with the new regulations coming on board has become a self uh policing through the uh national registry of medical examiners, through the states now requiring self certification of the medical card. So you basically figure it this way. Your medical card expires, your CDL is downgraded, so not too many people are probably going to let their CDLs expire. Uh, They're going to have to go to a a certified medical examiner, which is going to be tied directly electronically to uh, email the uh, information on your medical uh, certificate to motor vehicle directly, so you won't even have to worry about it. So it's sort of self-policing itself. So there's no really correlation with crash there. Um, and then the drug and alcohol, number one, there's not not much drug and alcohol testing done uh, on a scale level simply because um, the chain of custody is so hard to maintain, um, keeping it um, you know, uh, meeting all the requirements to make sure all the documentation and chain of custody is is valid and everything, and it's it just, you know, a scale house and roadside just doesn't have the capabilities to doing it. So by saying that, they have actually, what they've determined is what they're thinking about doing is setting up two separate uh, correlations to uh, violations under CSA, the seven basics, and actually to crash. So... What they're doing is they're going to take the items such as um, driver fitness and drug and alcohol, and they're going to put that, we'll say, into a column, and we're going to call that compliance, okay, which leaves the other ones. So under this A-tree, 
or Atari, depending on what part of the country you come from, A-T-R-I, um, one of the, the highest indicator to, towards crash causation is, believe it or not, um, unsafe driving. Hello, unsafe driving causes crashes. Yeah, it doesn't take a brain <laughs> yeah. to figure that one out. Okay. Now, is that, that's for drivers, for CDL holders, and uh, the regular uh, four-wheelers? That No, 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 no. Four, 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 forget four-wheelers. This conversation okay. is only about commercial motor vehicle drivers, which, by the way, is not all CDL drivers. It's any driver that uh, it drives a vehicle of 10,001 pounds or greater. So you have 650, true, true figures of about 650,000 regulated DOT companies that um, you take a large company that has a multiple fleet of tractor trailers and smaller vehicles down to 10,000, which we all know can be a pickup truck pulling a trailer. Um, these, are all, these are all, because they have a U.S. DOT number, all the data on accidents goes into um, – their SMS or their their crash relativity, but what happens is when Atari did this study, they based it on the amount of accidents and what were redeeming causes of the accidents where violations were issued through inspections, i.e., an unsafe driving, you're following too close, you run in the back of somebody, okay? You could be in a pickup or you could be in a Kenworth. So there's no differential correlation between the two. It's a DOT-regulated company. So, um, and then the second highest uh, was maintenance, was the second highest um, indicator relationship of CSA, the basics towards crash, and then the third being hours of service. Okay, the thing about it is the data is tainted and is inconclusive because it is a known fact through this study that the majority of carriers that have electronic onboard recorders are not being pulled into the scales and inspected. So there's no correlation with violation versus inspections because um, through a company purchasing and subscribing to prepass, um, the systematic uh, differentiation of downloading data out of the electronic onboard recorders, and the, ability, the fact is that the enforcement does not want to take the time for you to contact your headquarters and have your headquarters download the data out of their computer for your EOBR, and email or fax it back to the um, scale house, basically. So by saying that is the majority of the larger carriers that have a higher threshold and a higher accident count, just because the fact that they have more equipment, one thing, and the second thing is because they tend to have a tendency to have less experienced drivers that get into more accidents, they're not getting a true sample of what they're actually being inspected because they're not being inspected. So what does that leave? That leaves then the what we call the contact syndrome or the basis of what the Federal Motor Carrier has to respond to the, D, the Department of Transportation, formerly Ray LaHood, of how many inspections they are doing and what the relative factor of violations are, you know, compared to out of service and so forth and so on. 
So the majority, 66% of the carriers that are being inspected are carriers that are in the classification of 500 vehicles or less. Two reasons. One, you know, the whole thing about CSA, and if you understand, and, and, and if you understand the, the, the mission statement of the, the CSA was to make the availability of more DO, the same amount of DOT agents accessibility to more carriers. Well, that's fine, except when you don't have your data is complete because of the lack of inspections and you base everything on inspections plus if they're going to go in and I'm not I'm just going to use this as an example please uh nobody correlates this with their employer or anybody else but just to give you a balanced differentiation in size we'll say Warner versus say ABC trucking that has 200 trucks well, Warner probably only gets about 6% of their vehicles inspected. But if the 6% of their vehicles based on, say, a, uh, we'll say a 15,000-count fleet, then if they have 6,000 crashes and, and, and ABC Trucking with 300 has seven accidents, the number ABC is actually in the crash th threshold is going to be higher just because of the size of the differentiations. But the problem is, you know, the Warner could, you know, have more fatalities and serious injuries based on the small guy. But the fact they're not being inspected means their numbers are traditionally, their SMS numbers are going to be a lower number. The thresholds are going to be lower just because of the math size. Now, stating that, what happens is the DOT, to go in and do an audit, will send an intervention, quote-unquote, is the new term, meaning they're going to, whatever high threshold of the seven basics you happen to be, and it goes into alert matter, that's what they're going to come in. They're going to first send a letter, and then they're going to go into your company, and they're going to do an intervention, which is basically a focused review. So what happens is they have to go into somebody like Warner with a mass size. They're going to have to tie up five, six, seven, seven agents, it's probably going to take a month, two months, three months just to gather the data in any one category or basic. Where they can go to ABC, they send one guy in there in two to three days through random sampling, can find, you know, pretty much anything they want to find. And the civil penalty issue to the Warner is going to still be the same based on comparison of size versus violation, which is going to range anywhere from about 2500 to 6000 but the manpower it cost and the time frame involved, they're not really making any any money or self-supporting their, their mission where they can go to ABC trucking and do five of those a month with two agents and generate four to $6,000 per inspection. They're making a lot more money. Well, that, that makes sense. I mean, it really has to do with uh... – I mean, I'm surprised they didn't figure this out earlier. I mean, it, I mean, you're basically what you're talking about is just volume. You know, the volume of size of one carrier to the volume of size of another, and right. uh, think, seems like it's just kind of coming along, along late here. What wasn't there a time when uh, they were the FMCSA was going to step stand back and take a a closer look at this crash accountability, but Ann Farrell kind of backed off from that. I mean, you know, nothing, nothing on Ann Farrell, but they just kind of backed away from it. But now, so they're they're back on that now. They're going, they are actually going to take a closer look at this. 
there's two reasons they're going to take our colors to look at it. When Ann Farrow was 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 questioned by the uh, House Committee, um, oh, <laughs> she did not she did not give a very good answer. She I remember said, that. You remember that, Donna? <laughs> yes, I remember <laughs> that. Uh, I, that was that was too long ago, either. Yeah, I'll get back with you on that as Ann Farrow's most famous saying because I used to deal with Ann when she was president of the Maryland Motor Truck and I was in the Delaware Motor Truck Association because we were bordering states and there was reciprocity issues. Ann Farrow said the same thing back in those days. Uh, Rich, I'll have to get back with you on that. She hadn't changed any. Um, but the thing about it is what's, what's happened is uh, the accountability that the, the Congress is holding the FMCSA because starting immediately after the April MIXAC meeting, the GAO is doing an audit on the FMCSA, so they're getting a dose out of their own box of cereal. And they're trying to kind of, at this point right now, kind of scrambling and getting data. Uh, and, and, and they're kind of like the proverbial kid that got caught cheating in school. They're trying to make excuses. So, um, and what's really come out of this is the next step of, of what I was discussing is crash accountability. Um, and now, uh, leading up to what I was explaining on how they get to these determinations of, of how the basics are accountable to crash, what's happening now is they're turning around and, and they're using these three basics or indicators and they're trying to correlate what reference they have to crash, but the data can only be compiled based not on crash, but on inspection. So they're taking inspections and correlating a high volume of violations in a particular category and with the likelihood of that carrier having a crash rate. Well, that would be fine if you, it was a apples for apples and, you're, and you were, you know, your percentages of the guy with 300 trucks, you were inspecting two trucks a month of his versus doing 6% of the large carrier. So the numbers are kind of miscued there. But what happens is, there's no definition or deter. This is the next step in this this three phase program that that uh, t discussing tonight. The main problem we have right now is there's no determination of fault as far as an indicator of crash. The words preventability poked its ugly head up again for the first time since CSA because if you remember, Alan, back in the old days of the old uh, safe stack. Um, they had the uh, crash indicators removed because preventability was an issue to, you know, who determined preventability, and there wasn't enough funding or manpower to produce a committee to make that determination. So they figured the data was incomplete, so they pulled that from it. Well, now they've gone ten times to the worst. Everybody understands what the, or what the definition, and this is very important, uh, write it down, folks. There's going to be a test later on today. Um, <laughs> what is the definition of a recordable accident? A federally recordable accident is any accident where damage is incurred onto a vehicle that has to be towed. An individual or persons are injured and have to be emergency transported for treatment or somebody dies. We like to say in the industry, the compliance industry, when we're training, stowed, towed, and dead. Stowed. In the ambulance, towed, vehicle has to be towed, and obviously somebody passes away. So that is the definition of a recordable accident. Nowhere in there did I say the word fault, 
responsibility or determination of preventability. That's not included in that record. So, every accident involving a commercial motor vehicle of 10,000 pounds and one or greater that has an accident where somebody has to be towed, somebody's injured, or somebody dies is a recordable accident, and it goes on the motor carrier's crash threshold. Now, the numbers assigned to multiple crashes, fatals, and everything else, that is not available to the general public. True, it is not. You need a PIN number to get in. But you can go to any SMS on any carrier and go down to the bottom basic, which is crashes, click on it, and it gives you an entire total of all the recordable crashes that carrier has had in the last 24 months. Now, that can be a very, very misconstrued situation simply because you could have trucks that are sitting at a stoplight and somebody texting runs into them. It's non-preventable because you're sitting in a light. What can you do? You can't do anything. Somebody runs into you. How can it be your fault? It can't be your fault. So, But you now have a recordable accident against your SMS or against your company. So what happens is people that are shippers, that are brokers, and insurance companies will go onto the, the CSA site, which is a public site, they will look at a carrier, you know, the first thing they're going to ask you is, let me have your DOT number. They run your DOT number, they go on the site, they look at you, and they go, oh, my God, this guy's only got six trucks, and hell, he's had three crashes. Now, you listen to the way I said that. The guy's got six trucks, and he's had three crashes. Not once did I say he had three reportable crashes that were deemed as his fault. So, if you hit a deer, and your truck has to be towed, what can you do for a deer? You can't do anything. Uh, one of the guys at the committee that, that is, manages an association for buses said, what happens if I have a bus in, in New York City and I've got the doors open and, you know, I'm unloading in a, un, an illegal unloading zone and somebody comes along and takes the doors off the bus? Obviously, I can't drive the bus home. That's right. That's a recordable accident because the bus has to be towed. You did nothing. You were not at fault, but you got a recordable accident against you. And in the motor coach industry, um, they have an app on the telephone that you can hit that app, and that app will give you a total rundown of accident reports. So if you're going to charter a bus and you hit that, that app and you go and look at them and it says they've had three reportable crashes, uh, you're not going to ask well, who was at fault, what was going on. You're going to see that that company that you're thinking about chartering has three reportable crashes. Think about the term, the definition, reportable crash. It sounds really bad, reportable yeah. crash. It doesn't right. determine it. So what's happening is smaller carriers are being taken advantage of, and some of the major carriers who don't want to get caught being in the brokerage business but will not by their own standards, use uh, secondary carriers or smaller carriers to haul their, their freight, have opened these satellite brokerage operations that are basically owned by the, the top 100 carriers. And what they're doing is 
the owner-operators that are going through load boards and different things are calling these brokers, and they're saying, okay, I got a $1,000 load, we'll say. And the guy says, well, let me have your information, your DOT number and everything, and give me a phone number, and I'll call you back. Well, they go on the, they go on the regular CSA public site, they run the number, they come back, and they say, oh, you've got a high crash threshold, or you have a lot of accidents on here, and uh, I notice you have, like, uh, three violations for unsafe driving. Um, I'm sorry, but I can't load you. Uh, you know, I can't give you $1,000. You're a high-risk carrier. And the guy says, well, what will, what will you give me? And he says, well, I'll give you 600 bucks." Well, you know, no, I'm not going to haul that for 600 bucks. okay? Well, then somebody else comes in who's relatively new in the business and doesn't even have a whole lot of violations or crashes. They're going to have good numbers, and they're going to get that load for $1,000, but they may not be anywhere near as safe as the guy that's had crashes that aren't his fault. So... The numbers are unfair. The numbers are directly affecting the ability for people to make money, and that's not what it was designed to do, but that's the tool that it has become. And the FMCSA has to do something to eliminate the the uh, data to be used in a negative sort of way. Okay, well, let me ask you this. These... Uh... Okay, these three issues, the crash accountability, the data quality issues, and the public display of the carrier's SMS scores, um, these issues, okay, they're going to they're gonna be taken to a, to a full committee later this year. So uh, they're still looking at it and everything. So wh- what, what can we expect um, between now and then and whenever any decisions are made? I mean, is it still just going to be uh, – Plugging along as usual, no changes, and um, I mean, just w- without any regard to uh, you know all these issues that are coming up. I mean, are they just going to be operating uh, as usual um, as related no. to these to these issues? No, no, and I can honestly say that this is what I what I was saying in the beginning. This is where people calling in, explaining it in an intelligent way explaining it, how it financially affects them, um, giving evidence and data to the you know, to even the FMCSA that that uh you know this this has adversely affected them and it wasn't their fault. It shouldn't affect them. It shouldn't be public made public. Uh one of the suggestions there were several suggestions. See the subcommittee's kinda neat. The subcommittee is based on a small minority of the people that directly come off a mix act, and then they go out into the industry and they pick other people, and they actually get a chance for smaller trucking companies to represent and different people like that to bring up different views to this subcommittee. So what's happened is recommendations were made through the subcommittee to go back to mix act, the main committee, and say, listen, we have a problem here. It's unfair information. It's unfair data. It's affecting the livelihood of carriers to be able to make. So maybe we need the recommendations. For example, one of the recommendations was how about when you click on accident that it comes up with with a uh, uh, you know flash screen that comes up and it says caution. Um, 
reportable uh, recordable accidents does not necessarily uh, designate a carrier as a dangerous carrier. Uh, it's only relation to what a definition of a recordable accident and no fault determination is evaluated. Um, you know, that's one of the recommendations. Uh, another recommendation was make it so that information is not public. Um, so if FMCSA, state uh, partners, uh, the carrier themselves, wants to go in, get a PIN number, check and see where they're at, what their crash rating is, that information would be available only to them and not to the general public. Um, these are the type of recommendations that were made. Um, taking the uh, driver fitness and taking the drug and alcohol out of the scenario of an overall rating for the carrier. Um, you know, revamping the uh, data queue system because right now it's totally inefficient. Uh, it's worthless. It does absolutely nothing, but uh, a lot of people tie a lot of time up filing data queues against uh, erroneous violations, which takes me into step three, which is enforcement accountability. Well, how do you explain that? Uh, I'll put it to you this way. They didn't explain it very well, Donna. <laughs> well, what did they try to say it was? Okay. First of all, CSA is an enforcement tool. Never forget that. They can they can cloud it. They can spray it. They can paint it. They can dump perfume on it. And they can call it safety all day long. It's not safety. It's enforcement. When CSA was developed, one of the things, and, and you two know this as well as anybody, how much I fought it in the beginning and said, wait a minute, everything is, you know, it's enforcement. Everything is, is for the enforcement and nothing is there to protect the driver or the carrier. So, you know, it was like, no, 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 it's a foolproof system, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? It's come now full circle. We've been in a three-year cycle, so. The first year, obviously, they were getting into it. They were doing uh, a lot less inspections. So the carriers in their first year had a pretty good uh, SMS score. Now, second year, 2011, all of a sudden, all the state enforcement have jumped on board, and there's no accountability, so they can write anything they want to write. And the only way that we have to defend ourselves or our right to due process is data queue. Well, yeah, I am going to send a data queue to the state of Maryland, and I'm going to tell the state of Maryland inspector that he was totally wrong and all these violations he wrote on my vehicle were wrong. Well, Mr. You know, Cowboy Hat, uh, Cowboy Cop, Ego Man is going to say, well, I wasn't right, or I mean I wasn't wrong. I wrote them, so be it. They must be wrong, and it's going to come back, no action taken, and you're still going to have it against you because there's no accountability. So by saying that, um, our friend Todd Bills and I were at this meeting. We spent a lot of time together, and uh, Todd gave me some inside information on a, a study that's getting ready to come out where Overdrive is going to rate the states by – uh, ranking of who writes the most inspections, who's the worst state, to who's the most trucker-friendly state, to put it in a, a very elementary term. And by God, Maryland is rated number one as far as the 
meanest state and the hardest on truckers. So the chances of you getting a inspection in Maryland with a violation is almost 99%. In other words, the old story, they're going to find something. Well, yeah, they're going to find something. So by stating that, you could be perfectly legal, be perfectly compliant, and they're just going to find something to write you up because they're going to get paid for their contact time. So stating that, there's no accountability to that officer that if he writes erroneous or fictitious, um, then how do you defend yourself? You do not defend yourself. If you take it to court and you beat it in court, doesn't necessarily mean if you send a letter from the court stating that the charges against you were dismissed, Maryland does or any state doesn't have to remove it from your SMS. They can say that uh, uh, local jurisdictions do not have the experience or knowledge to determine uh, guilt in that scenario, and they weren't there. And my counter to that was, is okay, Mr. Law-abiding DOT guy, uh, you did how many inspections last year, and you can remember me and my little Cascadia freight liner and the oil leak that I had on the wheel? that you can determine that you're not going to, you know, that, that there uh, really was when there wasn't. And so I go back to the accountability. They want drivers accountable. They want carriers accountable. But yet there's no accountability for law enforcement or for, for truck enforcement. So one of, the, one of the options that was discussed was making the enforcement people accountable that if you can prove that that was a bogus or, uh, you know, a, a false inspection with false data and false violations, and you prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt, or you win a case in court, it automatically has to be re, uh, removed, and that officer is held accountable and pulled off and counseled, suspended, or whatever, the same as what the drivers are. Well, let me ask you, do you think... Um the carrier's SMS score should be publicly displayed? No. I don't and, think well, it's you, well, you not, agree, you, not you agree with – you agree. I asked Patches in the chat, and he said no, too. So um, why do you not think that they should? Well, no, let, me, let me quantify this. Start with, if you're going to make something public that's going to affect the, the very livelihood of drivers or the financial stability of a company or the ability for that company to make it, wouldn't you want to know that that data and that information is correct and true and valid and 100% right and not speculative? Oh, sure. But what if they get to that point where it is 100% correct? It will never be 100% because the way the system is designed and and, and, and the way that the uh, lobby of the major carriers and the trucking associations uh, work within the system of Washington, they work on behalf of the members and the larger members that support and financially maintain that um, are not going to allow their carriers to be inspected on an apples per apples or on a percentage of the same or equal to, so you're never going to get complete and equal and fair data. It's always going to be uh, data that's going to come in that's going to be biased and tainted towards the smaller uh, carrier simply because they're an easier target. Um, 
and, you know, they don't have to, you know, it's like anybody else. If you've got a lobby group that says, you know, don't touch our trucks, the chances are they're not going to get inspected on the same uh, level and in, in the amount and so forth and so on. So by saying that, and it's been proven, I'm not just spouting this out. This is information that is available through studies that the percentage of violations that are found or the amount of uh, inspections are not equal to on the percentage of size of a company than it is when it's, um, you know, it's, it's prejudiced towards smaller carriers. So by saying that, what am I going to do? I'm going to inspect smaller carriers, have a better base to get more violations by, you know, unscrupulous inspectors that I have no way of removing off of me that's going to direct affect me and the amount of money I make. So if it's going to affect it, how is it going to affect it? Because of the information that's publicly available? And it's tainted, it's incomplete, it's not right, it's not correct, and it shouldn't be uh, made available to the public. Well, you know what? These well, same these same concerns, and I remember, were there when CSA first uh, started. I mean, it's just now, the only difference I see is now we're seeing the effects of those initial concerns. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Not Nothing's that. changed. It's just now they've been proven wrong, right. and it, now they're it, doing it. something about it. And yeah. um, I forgot who it was. Was it a gentleman called Quaid who really didn't have an answer uh, to a lot of th- – I mean, was he present? It, do I have the name right, first of all? Second of all, was he present during this uh, s- subcommittee meeting for CSA? I don't know if there was anybody there named I don't Clay doesn't ring a bell. But no, Quaid, Quaid, Q U A I D. Oh, 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 Bill Quaid. Yeah. Oh yes, oh yes. Wait a minute. Hold on. Me and me and my buddy Bill. Yes, you know my buddy Bill Quaid. Well, I, I'm just surprised at some of the answers that come out of them, and I'm I'm just curious if he was at this meeting. Okay, let me quote Mr. Quaid. Mr. Quaid made a statement in this meeting that stated that SMS information is like a baseball player's average. In the beginning of the season, a baseball player batting average could be a 1,000. But do you want to rate that player based on his early season batting average? Or do you want to wait to the end of the season and find out that he's a better baseball player instead of having a thousand or a seven hundred in the beginning of the season? Wait till the end of the season and determine that he is a three sixty five or a two oh five or a one fifty. And that's kind of the scenario he used to describe the three years of um, the CSA. And the gentleman that's the safety manager for True Value Hardware says, excuse me, Mr. Quaid, I really don't want to have to go to a liability uh, court case and uh, have the liability of my my company based on a fictitious fantasy baseball. Well, yeah, I mean, because in the meantime, all this is going on and people are closing up, closing the doors over data that um, can't be trusted, really. Uh, I mean, can you say any other way to put it? I I, I had a private meeting with Bill uh, during during lunch break, and Bill and I met in a room off to the side. And I said, Bill, how do 
how can you sit here in this in this in this committee meeting and make the statement you're making that you know a a, a company that has a high crash rating uh, based simply on recordable accidents and not fault accidents relatively or directly uh, affect the ability of determining that that carrier is a high crash risk. And he he said, well, I do. And I said, well, it doesn't matter if you do. You're a representative of the federal government. You should strictly go by information and data that's available, not by your personal opinion. And I said, let me give you a scenario. I said, I have a client who is a school bus company. They've had three buses this past year that were hit while they were stopped with their lights on at a railroad crossing, and somebody in the morning, which is half asleep, probably forgot to tell their kids to turn the lights off, or texting and run into their bus. They couldn't have done anything to prevent that. They were stopped, lights going at a railroad, and somebody ran into the back of their bus. No fault at all. But it was a recordable accident. And he and I said, why should those recordable accidents on their record determine whether or not that somebody wants to charter that bus or somebody, uh, you know, that, that information is available? And he turned around and looked at me and says, well, I don't want to put my kids on that bus company. What did the bus company do wrong? They just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Anyway, he said, he says, well, maybe they have bad luck, so that's not somebody I want to use. Excuse me, we are now determining. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're we're determining companies making money based on the fact that they might have bad luck. And that's what public display of this information is. It's determining with data that is not correct on the availability of a company being able to make a living and stay in business. Well, um, can't they just change I, the, 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 the thing about uh, recordable accident, the definition? Okay. Now let me go. Let me, let me, I, I don't, I'm, I'm sorry if I, but I'm very passionate over this meeting because so much came out of it. that was so anti, uh, basically anti-trucking. Um, okay, and then I, then I'm going to pull. I got them fired up in there because they're agreeing with you. I asked them about the the public display, and Patches says no, and Cassie Cass says the general public doesn't need the information. So I've got Patches uh, fired up. He's uh, he's on the line here. But go ahead, and then we'll pull him in here with us and and uh, get his view on it too. Okay, and, and, it, and it goes back. To, it goes back to the same thing. You know, the information that's going, you know, coming in and going out, and, and, and everything else, and, and then the uh, non-accountability. Um, but you know, when when you know you have an agency that it tells me that they're 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 you know they're drowning. You know, they're flopping in the water. They're just coming up with you know uh, reasons to uh, vindicate. Um, the system that's an incomplete and a and a bad system, um, and and because of this, uh, that's one of the reasons why I don't think it ought to be public. Because number one, the general public doesn't know what they're looking at when they go on there. That you know, you don't. It doesn't require you to spend twenty hours reading the yes, you know, the CSA. Uh, how it works, what's worked. It's information that's blind. It's uh, you don't know what you're looking at. So when you go on there, you look at it and you go, oh, my God, look at this carrier. They're terrible. Well, the guy might have three trucks and, you know, he gets a tail laid out. 
Well, they're not going to they're not going to click on the report. They're not going to look at the total report. They're going to go in and under the seven basics, let's say they 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 hit unsafe driving. All right, um, they have they have adjusted and changed the speeding now to one to five mile an hour. Doesn't even show up on the SMS anymore. But I mean, let's face it. Say you're coming into a town, and 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 Alan, you know, because there's one right up the road from you that's got signs that says speed trap ahead. So, you know, you run into this town, and they're sitting there, and next thing you know, you're doing 55, and you're in a 35, and they get you for 15 over. Well, that's going to that's gonna come out to about a 10 or a 15 against your score. So, you know, it's like, oops, I wasn't running 85 or 90 on the interstate. I just didn't get my truck back down, you know, down in time, and I, and I went into a speed trap. Okay, that's one indicator. Uh, another good indicator of, uh, uh, of something like that would be if you're in, stuck in the left-hand lane, you can't get over, what are you going to do? Wipe the four-wheeler out because the sign says no trucks in the left lane? That all of a sudden you're riding down the road and there's a sign that says no trucks in the left lane. There, you know, 99% of the time there's no pre-warning that no trucks in the left lane ahead. You're in the left lane when the sign comes up. So they get you yeah, a, that's a, true. a lane violation. Well, that's you know, that could be an 8 or a 9. And if you happen to have, um, a, you know, you, you you have to understand CSA. Say, for instance, you have a really bad, bad run of luck, and you get three or four violations in, like, say, a, a six-month period. Um, they're not correlated to crash. They're not going to cause a crash. They're just misfortunes, you know, of, of being on the road and putting that many miles on. But you're going to multiply whatever the violation is times three because of the time wait factor in having multiple violations in a short period of time. And all of a sudden, you've got a really good year in 2010 with no, no violations. You have a bad year in 2011, we'll say. And you have, like, several violations. Well, your good violations in your first year is going to keep your numbers down. The minute they fall off, Guess what happens? The second year is going to take over, and your numbers are going to go right through the roof. And then you saw you had a problem. You made corrections to that problem. You had safety meetings. You had training. You got your guys up to speed. And then your third year, you don't have as many violations because you corrected it. You're still being haunted by that second year. And the next thing you know, the feds are in there doing an intervention because of what happened, and you've already corrected, and they're going to hold you accountable for it. So what he was saying is with the batting average thing, yeah, I I don't want to look at the batting average in the first year. It's not a fair batting average because there's not a lot of violations. We're at the meat or the heart of the second year. Wait a minute. This whole CSA thing was to make the carriers more accountable and to make corrections and not hold them, you know, in, in you know where they lose money because people are looking at these numbers that don't know what they're looking at, and they've already made their corrections to make the improvements and are not getting any credit for it. But I thought, yeah, I, you, let me. Uh, I got callers. Let's grab some callers and bring them in here with us. I got Delaware. I think that's Patches and Missouri. And uh, but let's uh, get some other people in here too and hear their thoughts. Um, Patches, that's got to be you. How you doing? I'm a kicking. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear your health is doing better. Oh, you don't know. <laughs> How you doing, <laughs> better? Well, good, 
Good. Glad to hear. Glad to see you back on here. So you uh, you jumped in here when I asked you that question about the public display, and then caller in Missouri will grab you up here too. We'll just get everybody on the line here. Hold on a second, and um, let's bring bring it up here. It's it's a working. Um, well, let me try again here. There we go. Uh, uh, Missouri five seven three. You there? Yes, sir. Oh, who's this? This is Alan. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I'm just going to have everybody on here. Let's go with Patches here real quick first. And, Alan, you're still up. And, oh, I've got some more callers jumping in here. But, uh, Patches, you you said a definite no on that public display, too, just like Kathy. So um, what, what's your I thoughts got, on this? I've got to agree with Kathy there. Uh, the general public would not understand half of this stuff. Yeah, that's what half she said in the, the chat. <laughs> Even uh, a person with the experience you have, I have, Rich has, uh, it it's hard to understand. What they need to do, they won't do. And that is to pull the entire system and rework it. They need If they don't do that, they're wasting their time. Because you can't throw in a patch here, a patch there, to get a system to work. You can't do it. You've got to pull it rethink it, reorganize it, and put it in the way it should be. Because if the correct facts are not in there, everybody's going to be getting a false report. And them false reports not only uh, go against the companies, they go against the drivers also. This is the problem. No matter who gets a ticket, the driver still gets a damn burn ticket, even if it's the company's fault. Well, and I that's guess, I guess, I guess, Richard, that's kind of what they're trying to do. They're trying to revamp this thing, huh? Hopefully, anyway. Well, uh, you know, the, the federal mo- the, the uh, we, we've just we've just had a a, a Yorkie attack here. Um, no. <laughs> Uh, excuse my dogs because they don't like the FMs. I said FMCSA and they went off. Um, <laughs> they're well trained, by the way. Uh, and, and I have two Yorkies that know how to do logbooks. Um, but anyway, uh, no. What what the problem? And that's what I'm getting at. The the, the problem is um, the FMCSA will not admit it, and it goes right back to Antero. Well, I'll get back with you on that because she isn't even aware of what is going on because the subordinates um, underneath her know that they're about to be hung out by the GAO because this data is so tainted and so wrong and it's no, and there's no accountability that all the burden has been placed, like Pat just said, on the drivers and the carriers to prove, you know, themselves, you know, this, is, this country is designed that you're guilty until you're proven innocent, or, you know, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. Well, when it comes to regulations, you're automatically guilty, and I don't give a damn what you prove. You're never innocent. So, and this is what that is. (laughs) And this is what's happened. And the thing is, it fell right into their laps to the point where they cannot justify how they developed and what they've done. So now they're like, you know, they're drowning victims trying to come up with this information because in April – as soon as they have the NICSAC, the general committee meeting, which, by the way, 
the report was finalized, signed by the chairman of the subcommittee, is going to be presented to the committee with recommendations, and this is the first time that they placed recommendations that the dissenters, thank God for the Todd Spencer. I worked with Todd this past week. We had lunch together every day. We discussed this every day. In fact, thank God, Todd forwarded me the outline of questions that was going to be discussed under the task of this subcommittee, and I wrote responses and answers. I gave it to Todd, and Todd used my response and answers in the hearing. And I gave the perspective of the small carrier that they only give you four minutes to speak, but Todd Spencer from OIDA, God bless him, took my responses to the questions that were asked and used them to explain from the seat of the small guy how this will affect them. And because of this, it's now our word is getting into the committee, and they made it go into the record that this was the first time a subcommittee developed a category of agree and dissent. So we actually, when it goes to the full committee, for, for all that agreed on certain erroneous information, there was an equal 50-50 of dissenters that disagreed, and that's going to go into the record. So when the GAO does an audit, it's not going to be a one-sided report like we've had in the past. It's going to have dissenters and people that disagree, and that information is public knowledge, is going to be available, so our side is going to be heard. Well, that's good. That's what it's all about. That's why you're saying always get get involved. Let's pull Alan in here. Alan, you're still on here with us. Um, go ahead. What are you thinking about all this? I think it's against the Constitution of the United States, especially from what I've just heard from your uh, show tonight. I mean, here's the deal. Everybody's supposed to be treated equally. I mean, that's, you know, that's the law. My personal opinion, my personal opinion only, FMCS, FMCSA, CSA, the National Highway Transportation Safety Alliance are the biggest outlaws, bigger than the guy who just got killed for killing all the cops. They have put more people in jail and have harmed more people on our roads and highways every day for not listening to the public and not uh, not doing what's important, like, number one, Exactly what y'all said tonight is they're getting the wrong data. Well, how about the wrong data where it's not the driver's fault due to all the amount of recalls that's on vehicles, due to parks allowing crashes to happen, when FMCSA doesn't count that into the crash data that you're talking about, just like y'all spoke earlier. Absolutely. I agree 100%, Alan. And, and, oh, yeah. and I'll, I'll give you an example. I, you know, I, the, I, I don't know if I'd put him in the category of the L.A. shooter, but, uh, well, I mean, I can, I can see your point. Well, I mean, they do more destruction than what they actually realize. They don't realize how much damage they actually are doing, not only to the companies and the drivers, to the general public. They're doing more harm than good to the, to the general public. Let me expound on that for a second. Um 
and this is a perfect example, and everybody out there that's a driver knows what I'm getting ready to say. We have so many foreign-based companies right now in the United States that are owned by people that have come over here that have found out that they can make uh, a lot of money in the trucking business hauling the cheap freight um, because they're not really um, – um, they're not really like a, an established good company. What they're doing is they're they're basing their entire haul based on brokers. They're not getting any actual shippers, and they bring a dozen relatives over here. Each relative gets a DOT number. Um, they have one truck, one one driver. They have get a DOT number. They go through an entry level um, audit, which you have to have, and. They turn right around, and they, and it's very easy to pass the entry level audit. I mean, you just you just have to have certain documents in place. So what happens is you get a family with six or seven members in that family all having a DOT number. So the first company, the original company, starts up. Um, next thing you know, they start bringing people over from from their home country. Uh, they go out and they start leasing all these trucks and. They start hauling all this cheap freight, and and they'll run stuff that uh, the brokers will not actually ask somebody that is, that is compliant and running legally. They'll ask them to do stuff that's illegal. They run overnight, 900 miles. They do all the legal illegal stuff, and and they'll pay a premium to do that. Well, they get busted. They get shut down. Well, guess what happens? All of a sudden, they take all these trucks that are leased under this one company, and the DOT comes in, inspects them, finds them, you know, whatever. You know, two, three thousand dollars. Well, hell, that's the cost of doing business. That's like a tax. Well, then all of a sudden, their relative over here has a DOT number. They move all the trucks into that one. And for every time they move the truck over, that's what CSA was supposed to stop was this uh, chameleon carrier. But there's a flaw in the system that allows them, because they are a legal carrier, they are a legally active DOT number, they can move all these trucks over. So, these people are coming in, and they're the ones that are having the accidents. They're the ones that are killing people. But the problem is they don't care what their SMS number is because they're going to go out of business anyway because they're kind of like, a, I like to call them kamikaze carriers. They're designed to go in, make a lot of money real quick, go get put out of service, and then they start up under another company. And the way the chameleon carrier law is, it's perfectly legal for them to do that because, it's an established already functional DOT number. Then you take the guy that's out here that's a grain hauler or, you know, a flatbedder or an owner-operator, and he's trying to make an honest, decent living. He's trying to run compliant, and he's being hounded and pounded by, you know, unscrupulous inspections. He's getting high numbers, and he's being denied the availability of getting the good freight and making a good living. Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, I agree. Well, Alan, let me ask you, what would what would be your suggestions to the FMCSA? Shut them down and start over. <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe maybe a little with... bit more realistically. <laughs> well, I'd throw a hand grenade in there and let it go off. No, actually, actually, I agree with Alan. I think the whole thing should be scrapped and it should be reevaluated for the purpose of which it is, which is safety, 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 not enforcement. Well, here's the whole thing. They're so bad data, they're trying – I mean, I look at this in the forensic side, you know, because of what's happened to me, and I see what's happening to people in accidents. The problem with, for instance, when somebody has an accident or a truck driver has an accident, 
he can be wrongly classified with that accident when it's not his fault because the people who reconstruct the accident don't know what they're doing. Half the time, i got to agree. And you know what, Alan? And, Alan, I'm going to tell you something. This goes to point four. A very, very, very perfect, perfect scenario. Enforcement members of this committee defended themselves by saying that with what they called, there's there, there's a little-known um, um, scenario within the system of enforcement that states what they call, the in California, it's called the clear highway um, syndrome. In other words, they need to clear that highway as soon as they can to get traffic flowing again. So it's incomplete investigations. Information is not properly, and, and the accidents cannot be properly investigated to make a determination of fault because the main goal is to get those trucks and cars off the highway and get traffic flowing so they tow them, you know, they, they take pictures, they paint lines on it, and they write a report. And it came out in this meeting, there is no unified accident reporting system that puts together a standard of investigation. Each state, and it goes down as far as a county or a municipality, would have a different accident reporting system so that you could have an accident in one borough or one township or one county, and you could have an accident in another borough right next door to it, and the report would be written up in such a different way that there could not be a determination. Plus, law enforcement and local municipalities do not want the liability of making a determination of fault in a crash and being held accountable, so they're not held accountable, so there is not a standard of reporting of accidents. Well, uh, well, I was in law enforcement, so I, I don't, I don't know. I think there might be a, a quite a few law enforcement officers, investigation, accident investigators, and on scene, you know, crash investigators, who might. Um, take exception to that i mean you know I, I was in law enforcement i, I mean i saw the training I, I investigated accidents i saw what they did and and so uh I, I mean i don't know i don't think we can say that all law enforcement officers and these investigation accident investigators don't know what they're doing i mean the ones that i dealt with the, the ones that i dealt with was very highly trained no no wait i, I didn't mean that what i'm saying is is that the officers are not the and and the officers themselves admitted this in the meeting that the high priority isn't getting the truth to what happened the high priority is is getting the vehicles moving again getting the the accidents cleared up and they're take and they're taking away from them the ability to get to the truth because that's not the high priority for them to do their job so no the enforcement is agreeing that they're not given the capabilities, and what these states and what these municipalities are doing is they actually had a speaker that is a, a uh, 25-year uh, Georgia state trooper who was on their Georgia fair team, the fatal accident and, and investigation team, that now is a private contractor that's hired by these states to go in after the fact and do a crash investigation. Well, Alan, you know, being in enforcement, you need to get that information and data at the scene, not in a junkyard. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, that that 
that doesn't make any sense. I mean, they have to, they, you know, they have their tools that they step off to determine, you know, the speed and if they were braking. And I mean, so I mean, if it's uh, if it's months later, that's kind of uh, beating a dead horse. And, and that's and that, that's what I'm saying. That's what the enforcement uh, is saying themselves. We're not given the opportunity to correctly in, uh, investigate these accidents because the priority of the Department of Transportation for this state is get this damn thing cleaned up and let's get the tourists where they need to go. Yeah, and, and Alan, you're I mean you're big time in these accident investigations. So is that is, was that what you were? Uh, Alluring too. I mean, is that what you're seeing as well? I guess, huh? No, sir. I'm seeing a bit further than that in the forensic side. For instance, let me give you a scenario. We just had a big accident out in California that they claimed that the brakes in the bus is what failed, and they blamed it on the driver, calling it driver fatigue and maintenance on the brakes. You're talking but, about that recent bus accident? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I read all about that. Okay. And the bus, by the way, the bus company was shut down and put out of service. That is correct. Let's take it a step further. What caused the brakes to do that? Was it the maintenance? Or did another part cause the brakes to get to that point without the driver's or the mechanic's knowledge? Here's the thing. How can you prove without the right forensic people and having your own forensic system instead of taking the parts and send them back to the people who made them. Do you right. think they're going to make their cell? Well, and, 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 and I'll give you a perfect example because I was involved in that investigation of that very accident. So, And I, I, was, uh, did a, I had lunch with the uh, lady from California who's uh, the uh, one in charge of their truck enforcement, and we, we actually, uh, California Truck Enforcement, uh, which, by the way, my recommendation is avoid California like the plague, but uh, I think they were number two in uh, the the highest amount of out-of-services issued. But um, it's like she said, there was a situation there where uh, it was almost theoretically impossible to get to the vehicle, uh, just to the situation where the vehicle was. But the, the coincidence, and I'm using the word coincidentally uh, very loosely because that's the term she used, was that six about uh, three to five weeks prior to that accident, a study came out. It was all over, and Alan, you probably remember this, about the treadle valves. Yeah, oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, here you have a bus accident with eight fatalities that's blamed right. on the treadle valve. Now, isn't that a coincidence? Is it a coincidence because it was a treadle valve, or is it a coincidence because that happened to be the hot topic of the day, and it was easy to blame it on the treadle valve? Well, I hate yeah. to tell you, but guess who started this treadle valve scenario? I think the treadle valve is is uh, really coming hitting the surface right now. Um, especially Alan, Alan's um, on the line now. He's the one speaking and had a, a a great show a couple of weeks ago. And I hope everybody listens to the replay on that. Well, we had a, Donna. We had a after the show. We had an attorney in California uh, ask about it, right? Um, yeah, there was um, wanting to get uh, wanting more information and more contacts. I think you uh, sent them over to um, Paul Taylor or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Taylor called me about that. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, it came through. Uh, <laughs> and that happens a lot with our shows. After a show, we'll have a, a pretty, 
you know, a pretty rough show like that, we'll have attorneys call us from all over the country and want more information. And so it didn't, it didn't really surprise me, but Donna happened to mention it and I overheard it. And, and, uh, so, I mean, that's kind of common, Donna. It kind of happens quite often, actually. We, we but, get a, a lot of that. But Alan, hey, 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 Patches, oh, I'm sorry. Patches, uh, I still have you on here. Jump in here. What do you think? No, Patch is gone. Hi, okay, old buddy. Oh, there you are. I'm just going to yeah. give you another shot here. What do you throw your opinion in here? Oh, did he disappear? Okay, go ahead, Richard. What were you going to say? Um, um, you know, here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about about tainted information at the convenience of the individuals. And please. Uh, I, I have the highest respect. Uh, I was in the. I was a volunteer fireman. I worked directly with the fair team, you know, the fatal accident and, uh, reconstruction teams. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I, you know, I have the highest respect. I mean, these guys are geniuses. They can figure out whether or not you had your taillights on. But uh, you know, and the scientific forensics that come out of it. But you have to give them the availability to do the to do the inspection and do and do the uh, investigation. And and that's one of the things that they say themselves. You know, they of course they're not going to probably publicly announce it. But you know, and and I'm not going to mention any names. But we had you know breakout sessions basically. Uh, after the meetings and everything else where we were in total agreement. You know, they're saying we're putting false data in there simply because we're given a certain amount of time that we're allowed to spend on the report, and we have to take what, what they call, in fact, the nickname for it amongst the, and you might laugh at this, uh, Alan, because you've probably heard this before, is the Mr. Obvious Syndrome. You know, whatever is obvious is whatever they have to write down a report, get the report filed, and they move on to the next one. And unfortunately, you know, with the you know, the additional amount of vehicles on the highway, the congestion factors, you know, the uh, 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 you know the amount of cars and trucks and stuff like that at uh, peak rush hour, which is primarily when most of your accidents are going to happen. You know, their 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 goal or their their mission anymore isn't to investigate. But to get it cleaned up and get it off the road, so you know they're left, you know, with you know insufficient data and basically fill out the blanks on the report, turn the report in, and go to the next one. So uh, they're frustrated yeah. as well. They're frustrated as well. Yeah, well, I can agree. I mean, I was when was I a cop? I was a cop in a oh back in the early to mid early to late eighties. So I mean, things could have definitely. You know, Things could have you. definitely changed since then. So, um, well, listen, I see um, uh, listeners online, uh, Illinois, Oregon, Kansas, Texas, California, Mississippi. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it. Uh, Alan, jump in again. What else? You got anything else you want to share? Yes, sir. I think the problem is is that they're not using everything that's available in today's times. This is 2013. This is not 1999. And and uh well well like what like an example of what they're not using the uh well they they're not using forensics enough they're not using metal specialists they're not using this they're they're going out there and they're wanting to do a great job but just like he just said they either are rushing them or they're going in in inspecting the truck after the accident but they're not taking it a step farther and figuring out really what could have ever used everything that they could to figure out what caused the parts to go bad 
could have caused the accident. I mean, what you have is is uh, uh, a scenario where they do their investigation at the scene. You have a scenario where they go usually after the truck is towed to that area and they go through the truck. But your people that is doing that they only have like 120 hours of general break knowledge, just a small class course that just most of your DOT officers have. They, they're not break specialists, and, and, and you're messing with a person's life, or you're messing like this, this accident here where the people, you lost nine lives, you know, or eight lives at one time. In like yeah. Oregon. And, and, and I understand that they can't spend, send their, their special investigation group out of Washington to ever accident. But what I'm saying here, the reconstructionist people, they need to be more certified, they need to be have more schooling done to them, and they need more opportunities to, to uh, send the parts instead of sending them back to the manufacturer that made them to ask them if they were bad or not, to send them to their own special organization or place that, you know, will give a fair judgment call on that part and to the right people that know how to, how to break it down and what to look for. Can yeah, I, I mean, it, 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 Alan, oh, go can ahead. I, can I pose yeah, a question? Yeah, go ahead. I want to pose a question to your listeners, and I'm, I'm watching it, and I want everybody to think about this and answer it. Um, and, and, and I have a reason behind this, but um, because data is kept on trucks, because um, the FMCSA has to accomplish certain requirements that's placed on them by Congress and by the Department of Transportation to reduce crashes, do does the general consensus of the listeners believe that the information is uh, prejudiced to the trucker because that is the only source of data that's collected and that very little bit of data on crash causation by the actual four-wheelers uh, is taken into consideration? Okay, I'm letting it sink in. Donna? Well, I have to apologize. Our company just arrived. Oh, they did? And I have missed the last two minutes, and I'm really sorry. Okay, <laughs> well, well, Alan, Alan, what do you think? I think oh. it's just... Go I'm ahead. Sorry. No, that's okay. I, Go ahead. I think he's correct. You know, I think instead of... Uh, the situation, you're innocent until proven guilty. It's like he said earlier. Most truck drivers from the time of the accident, they're looking for somebody to blame the accident on, and that truck driver is guilty until he proves himself innocent. And that's not the way the law is supposed to be. Well, well isn't that, in that in what I'm getting at is the answer that my, my answer to that is based on true fact the information is going to go against the carrier, not based on fault, but based on the fact that it was a recordable accident based on the definition. So any information it gathered is automatically going to be biased simply because that's where the information is going to be put and where the information is going to, and the data is going to be collected. It's not going to I mean there's not a, you know, there's not a little sub line on the accident report that said this accident was caused by, you know, some four-wheeler doing making a stupid move. It just simply says that, that the vehicle was involved in an accident, not cause or not everything. So if the 
report is coming in, the report automatically before the pen hits the first, you know, page in triplicate is going to be biased towards the commercial carrier simply because that is where the data is going to be gathered by the FMCSA for the purpose of supplying these reports and reporting back to Congress is going to be crash causation. Remember, that's the key words here, crash causation. What caused the crash? The truck being in the place it was and because there was a commercial vehicle involved does not determine fault. So I go back to my question. That's why I asked it. Are these report or are these information and this data automatically biased simply because the only gathering of information is going to be put into a data bank that's going to be used for crash causation of commercial vehicles, not the re real reason why the crash incurred. Well, yeah, very biased. And another aspect of that is, I mean, let's all be honest. We know we know very well, it, you know, it goes on for year, years, so let's just be honest. I mean, all that set aside, I mean, they're also looking at those that big motor carrier sitting there, and they, and they see deep pockets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, this, so, yeah. I mean, we know that goes on. Yeah, look at the business of subcontractors, you know, these, you know, actually reconstruction specialists. They're not cheap. And, and you know, you automatically, being a commercial carrier, you're almost, you know, mandatorily obligated to hire a crash re reconstruction specialist to defend you. So I go, it, it, it goes full circle. I go back to where I said it before. You're guilty until you're guilty. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, you know what? I mean, I'm listening to all this, and uh, all I can say is it has to be very obvious to the subcommittee, the committee, FMCSA, NICSAC. I mean, it's a no-brainer. So where is this discussion? Is it is it because it's difficult to say, whoops, okay, you know, we made a boo-boo? Is that the issue? Trying to prove your point, even when it's so obviously wrong. I'm going to be I'm going to be unpolitically correct here. Um, it is to satisfy and appease the safety advocacy groups. Well, I tell you, I got some good conversations going in here, Kathy. In the in the, I mean, this is real interesting, and we all know this goes on. And you, you kind of hope that, you know, it's gotten better, but obviously not. But Kathy in the chat room, she's saying they've witnessed and been first on the scene with accidents involving trucks, and the police never took their statements about what happened. They told them that they saw the whole thing, but the officer said to get back in their truck and leave, that the driver of the four-wheeler said the truck driver caused the accident. So, I, I, see, I see that, uh, Alan. Kathy, every day. Right, because yep. as as a representative and a and a consultant with these carriers, I every I'm getting calls every day. We had a vehicle involved in an accident, and our driver was charged, and our driver didn't do anything wrong. What do we do? And I and and it turns into expensive lawsuits. Um, you know, it's just like the old lost pay scenario. If I call your insurance company and say. You know, Alan's tanker was running down the road, and a piece of steel flew out and tore my car up, and I got a $5,000 claim. It's easier for the insurance to pay my claim than to take it to court. 
Um, and what happens is this all, in, you know, it goes back to the lost pay of the company, and the insurance rates are going through the roof simply because it's not worth taking it to court because when they get to court, it's all going to be biased when it gets there anyway. Well, I've had, I've had that happen before. You know those. I mean, the you know the trucks, the trailer will often have uh, you know how's my driving? Call one eight hundred da da da. And you know most drivers been driving long enough will get back there with black paint and 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 paint that number out. But I've had people call on me before. The only thing that saved me was uh, you know a GPS, and I could prove that I wasn't even uh, at that location. You know, at that particular time, you know, they might have seen me at such and such and then might have seen me at a Walmart, you know, and then called in and said, yeah, I was at I-75 mile market 33 at this time. But at that time, I was sitting at, at Walmart. The GPS saved me. But, you know, and that goes back to, again, the other aspect I was saying, you know, they can look at that four-wheeler and say, well, you know, uh, this this guy works at, you know, um, Burger King or whatever, uh, not to put down Burger King, but just an example and they're sitting there looking at this four-wheeler, or they're sitting here looking at this motor carrier who uh, grossed uh, $300 million last year. So, I mean, you know, it, yeah. it yeah. Well, doesn't they can take afford- Einstein to figure that out. <laughs> right. They can afford it, right, in that scenario. Right. I'm, I'm currently right now in the middle of an investigation. In fact, I just wrote a summary that's going to go to court in about two weeks. A uh, carrier I represent was in the right-hand lane, in the far right-hand lane. I mean, he had the right-hand lane shoulder guardrail, so he didn't have a whole lot of area to go. He put on his, there was an exit coming up, and the sign said, exit only this lane. He puts his left-hand turn signal on, looks in his mirror, he sees a car coming up in the far third lane, okay? Now, right there, think about it. What did I just say? Exit coming up, right? He's in the right. far right-hand lane. The car comes across three, two lanes of traffic into the far right-hand lane and clips the front of the truck trying to get off the interstate. The truck never moved out of the right-hand lane, but the truck was issued a citation for an illegal lane change. Why? He had his turn signal on. Wow. He was, when the vehicle hit him, he was in the far right-hand lane. So he wasn't in the center lane. He wasn't moving over. He he saw the car coming in the far left-hand lane. He got that, you know, and, and Alan, you're a truck driver. You get that gut feeling, this guy's getting ready to do something really stupid. So you back off, knowing the guy's probably, because he's probably got his right-hand turn signal on and he's getting ready to shoot across. So I'm in the far right-hand lane. The guy comes across, hits the front, the the, the, the left front of my truck with the right rear quarter panel of his car, and yet I'm held blamed and I'm given a ticket for making an illegal lane change, and yet I didn't move the truck out of the left lane. I never moved into the center lane. I stayed where I was at, pulled over, stopped the truck. The guy jumps out of the car, runs back, and said, you hit my car. The police get there, That like just like Kathy said, walked up. What happened? Uh, the truck driver realized the lane was running out, and he came over and he hit me. And that's what the whole case is based on. The problem is, with they don't know, and the police don't know, and the car don't know, and the car's attorney don't know, that driver has a dash cam. And we are going to present that as evidence and show where the driver never left the right-hand lane. So I guess, yeah. in a way, I'm saying to people out there, 
with what's going on, they might want to invest a hundred bucks into a dash cam because in a case like this, it's I mean, the guy all of a sudden after all this was done, he collapses on the ground, his neck and back is hurting, la la la, you know the scenario. I don't need to go into it. You see it on T V every day. But, you know, uh, do we screw them in hell, attorneys, and if you've been involved in an accident with a truck, even if it's not your fault, or if it's your fault, we can get you money. I mean, that's an ad that's on TV every day. Oh, so, yeah. By saying that, you take and presume, we we're going to present this evidence, you know, do you think the four-wheeler will probably get written up for writing, you know, for, for uh, giving false testimony? Do you think the police department is going to be held accountable because, you know, they, they blame the truck driver when there wasn't any significant evidence to do it. No, the police are going to, and, and, and don't get me wrong, Alan, nothing against police, but just in this scenario, they listen to the car. They listen to the guy in the four-wheeler without him doing a proper investigation and getting all the information. The driver offered to show them the, the, the video, and they absolutely refused to look at it because they said it was not admissible in court. Surprise, it is admissible. Yeah. Yeah, we know that all goes on and and uh um uh, I know Alan Alan watches those accidents big time. What's um when did that bus accident occur, Alan? I can't really tell you the day, but I'm going to say what about 4 weeks ago. Was yeah, it that no. long ago? I mean, it seems so recent cuz it was just in the news. Yeah. And uh then I kind of lost track of it and and uh what what happened to the driver? The driver is uh, responsible for the accident at this time. It's my understanding. He w- he was charged, and uh, in, in like somebody said, the company was put out of business. You know, or, yeah. or I, I do know that they were they were shut down. Yeah, they had but, they have they, they had a high threshold in maintenance issues, and that, so, that bus itself had been had been uh, I think uh, in a twelve month period had had four violations written against it. Yes, I think wow. that's correct. But here, let me add to what y'all were saying there. Here's another scenario. I have a case right now where one vehicle hit another vehicle up in the upper states, and they had the same insurance company. So if you think that your insurance company is going to fight for you, what do you do? Who do you think that insurance is going to fight in a scenario like that? Because they're in a no-win, no no-lose situation. They're paying out on either side. So that leaves the customer, whoever owns the vehicle, to fight for their self. So, you, I mean, and let me ask you this, Alan. Do you have $50,000 if you have a wreck tonight to start your own investigation and it could run you up to $100,000 for investigators? Oh, no. You know, that's a good point. I mean, this this, this so-called insurance is like a, a, a false, false safety blanket. I mean, a lot of people have been crushed by their own insurance. So, yeah, I see your point. Well, what yeah. thing, your your driver's left out there holding for himself. Yeah. You know, I mean, and most drivers are like me in my lifetime. A lot of times, you know, there was times I worked from paycheck to paycheck. I didn't have $50,000 in my back pocket. I mean, I've seen times I had, but, you know, 90%, oh, I know. 90% of the time I didn't have that, you know. And, and and what I'm saying is, you got to understand, when a driver has an accident, most of the time he's fired right there on the spot. Or that insurance company won't let him drive. That is, if he doesn't go to jail and he has to bond himself out and hire lawyers to protect him. Yep. 
90, 95% of your people, drivers, do not have that. They're trying to feed their families. They're trying to make a better living for themselves. I mean, you guys, that's, that's what they're trying to do. And, and, and what I'm saying is the government, your system that is set up, and is, is not a fair system for you guys out here that moves everyday products so everybody can live every day. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. I hear you. I hear the system uh, definitely <clears throat> can use a an overhaul, and I guess hopefully the FMCA would be looking at this CSA thing. But um, well, the thing about the driver um, being blamed for failed brakes, I mean, that's just ludicrous. I mean, um, I, I, you know, all these things. Just... Well, I guess it depends, though. I mean, if uh, I mean, there are those drivers that have failed brakes by not keeping them adjusted correctly. But it's like Alan's saying. I mean, they need to do a thorough investigation to get. I mean, you're talking. It's like Kathy said in the in the chat room. I mean, you're talking about people's lives here. So I mean, you think you would put in the the 100 percent effort to get to the truth. And you Donna, know. I, I saw some. I saw something during this meeting as well. You know, the lobby of the, the motor coach industry, uh, the, the the general director of safety for um, <clears throat> Greyhound bus lines, who, by the way, Greyhound just recently had a, a pretty severe accident. Um, so he was pretty much speaking on first-hand information that just recently happened. Um, but uh, <clears throat> the problem of it is. Uh, they, they have it's a perfect example of a strong lobby. I mean, through all the motor carriers and <clears throat> everything we've had to deal with that's that's currently been put into our lap as far as hours of service and all this, you know, I mean, they, you can't tell me that anything on the new hours of service has anything directly involved with safety. It doesn't. Uh, a driver can much more determine when he's tired uh, you know, and if he, you know, he gets no credit, if he admits he's tired, he's compliant because he doesn't drive the day. He pulls over, but he gets no credit for the time that he takes off or admits it uh, with this crazy 34-hour crap that they're getting ready to dump on us uh, that, by the way, is in court. But the thing about it is the motor coach industry <clears throat> hasn't had any adjustment or changes in any of their hours of service. Okay, that's the kind of lobby they have. It's a strong lobby. So it's you know the whole the whole game that's played in Washington right now. It's not a matter of what's fair. It's not a matter of what's right. It's not a matter. It's a matter of the strength of your lobby, and that has nothing to do with safety. And and uh, you know and, and and the fact is that the FMCSA, um, you know, their whole mission and their whole design is to come up with more regulations and they think they're going to they're going to make our highways safer safer by regulating but they're not going to make it they're just going to add more uh crazy ass regulations when in actuality if they look at the baseline of of safety i in my four minute speech i said you need the eighth basic and 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 the eighth basic is you know experience you know you know, taking consideration. You want to talk crash causation? You know, look at the amount of, of drivers that are having serious accidents that are inexperienced. Because, uh, I'll give you a perfect example: the major accident that happened out in uh, Illinois or Indiana uh, during the blizzard, where there was, you know, I forget how many cars and trucks were involved in that accident. Um, 
you know, the conditions. You know, is condition a, a direct cause? Of course it is. When you have whiteout conditions, you have blizzard conditions. What happens if you send a driver over Donner Pass in the middle of December who has just graduated from truck driving school, you know, and a carrier-based truck driving school, which is going to definitely put the guy, you know, they're going to fill their seats before the actual, you know, guys get, you know, has the experience. And they're putting people in those dangerous situations. But that's not an indicator. That's not a... That's, you know, not a consideration, but wouldn't you call that a, uh, a definite factor to crash causation? Oh, sure. Sure, and it seems like the motor carrier who puts a, a, a new driver in a position like that should be held accountable. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know if per law, I guess it would really depend on how good of a, an attorney you can get, but, I mean, will the, will the motor carrier back the driver for an attorney? The driver won't have money for an attorney, like Alan said, so... Um, but it seems to me like the motor carrier, if they put a, a recent CDL graduate in a position like that, then the accountability should go back to them. Yeah, and the thing about it is, it doesn't because well, let's face it, we all know the reality of things. That driver is going to be the, that driver is an expendable commodity. So well, another thing too that I tell you how they get away from that is it's just like a PIC pilot in command of an aircraft. I mean that driver supposedly. Uh, legally, technically, has the final final call. You know, hey, I'm you know I'm not going over Donner Pass, but you know, uh, a, a new driver, he doesn't want to get fired. He wants to do a good job. He tries to hit that pass in December, and and you know doesn't work out well. But so I mean, they so the carrier can always come back and say, hey, well, ultimately it's it's a driver's call, and he chose to go over it. I mean, it's just like that accident that happened out there in that bad weather. You're right. I mean, I don't care if you're an owner-operator and you've got 50 years' experience and you're driving your big old large car. You're running it. You're you know you're running it at five or six miles an hour, you know, in a blizzard conditions, and you know all you know all of a sudden a whiteout condition comes on or black ice or whatever, and people start spinning and crashing and start banging into you. I mean, you know, basically the only way you could avoid the accident was never leave home. And if that was the case, we would run out of goods instantly because we're just in time if just because there was some bad weather. And, you know, what are they going to do? Regulate it says, oh, if there's more than an inch of snow on the ground or the temperature's below 26 degrees, no trucks can operate on the interstate because that's, you talk about preventing a crash causation, that's a guaranteed way to prevent crash causation crashes is saying everybody shut down because it's below 24 degrees and there's a possibility it could be ice on the road. Well, I tell you what, those whiteouts aren't fun, man. They're scary. I got caught in a, I mean, a total, total whiteout up in Utah. Couldn't see, I mean, I, I wasn't even for sure I was still on the interstate. And I'm just creeping along and creeping along and, and uh, somehow I made it, uh, Oh, where was I? Just outside of Salt Lake City, a little tiny flying J there, and there was a little break in it. I could see the lights through all the. I don't. I still don't know how I made it into there. I wasn't in. I wasn't in that little flying J 15 minutes, and you. We heard the most god awful sound. Just metal crunch. I mean, it was horrible. And I can probably find it. Look back. Look back a few years, because I mean, it made national news. Right there, a big giant whiteout, Utah. Uh, I don't know, 15 years or so ago, and I mean, there was like a 30, 40, 50 car pileup, and man, I barely, I barely missed that thing. So those whiteouts aren't fun, and you know, but it came, it came out of the blue, you know. I mean, it was, it was on me, and there I was. 
right. But right. you know, luckily, and, I, luckily, I made it. But it, it was pretty bad. There had a lot of fatalities, trucks, cars. So definitely not any fun. Yeah, and, and and you think about it. Bottom line, you were there. You saw it happen, and it happened. I too. heard it happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. But I mean, you you knew that the situation you and you were you were experiencing in in, in the whiteout situation. So that can come upon somebody, and if you're not experienced, then, you know, you take an experienced driver can probably handle it, but you take an inexperienced driver that's never dealt with that before, I mean, you might as well say that person has never driven a truck before in that scenario. So if you take your average guy out of a four-wheeler, stick him behind the seat of an 80,000-pound tractor-trailer, and say drive down the road, that's no different, you know, on a perfectly, you know, beautiful summer Florida day. You know, that guy has no business being behind the wheel. Is the same thing as a guy that just graduated from a truck, you know, uh, you know, a trucking company driving school and put him in that scenario. I mean, common sense. You know what you said about pilot accountability? Well, how about company accountability by not sending a guy that just graduated into that scenario? Well, yeah, I know. On a flat road, regional, you know, whatever they got to do, let him get some time and experience. But that's not happening, and that's why, you know, if they want to talk about crash causation, that's why I say give the eighth best, uh, eight basic. Let's let's have accountability. How accountability towards crash causation is inexperienced drivers or inappropriately trained drivers? Well, we had, and that was the the last meeting. When was that? I mean, it seems like yesterday. These meetings go by so fast on the CDL training. Uh, I mean, that was tremendous. I was so glad to see that. Uh, you know, coming up, and a lot of good points, just like you're making right now, were brought up. Um, I think it's wonderful how all this is uh, coming to the surface um, with CSA, with CDL training, and I, I think it's important that everybody, you know, stay informed, and if there is some kind of call to action, that they respond. Um, I, and I think you would agree to that, right, Rich? Oh my God! You know, and the funny thing about it is, and Alan and Donna both. I mean, you know, we've been we've been involved. You know, um, with this, I've been involved with CSA since its inception. I was actually in Washington at the breakout session when they came up with the name CSA, and the principle behind it, uh, the general basic principle behind it, when it was formulated, had a had a good idea. But I was the first one to stand up, and and the, Alan, Donna, you know this, and I said this system will not work. It will not work, and I was argued by several, you know, advocates and several, um, you know, other trucking company representatives that said, "Oh no, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. This is a good enforcement tool. This is going to really make, you know, carriers step up to the plate. We're going to be able to track the unsafe carriers." And I said, "You know, the principle behind it is great, but you know, principle sometimes." The principle behind it or the idea behind it is a good idea, but when you actually come up with a final product, it's not exactly doing what it was intended to do, and CSA is not doing what it intended to do. As an well, this is the point I was making, Rich, that these were the things that, you know, were coming up. If you go back in our archives, I believe, you know, you were on a lot of these shows, and um, now, two years later, uh you know, now it's coming to pass, and well, that's what's happening. It, 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 it's coming, it's coming back to bite them, so to speak. But listen, we're down to about eight minutes. Um, 
we got to, uh, I guess, shut it down for this time. We can just go on and on. But, Richard, thanks. Uh, Alan Patches, everybody online here, uh, thanks. Uh, Richard. i got to give a shout-out to Richard. Thank- oh, hold on. Richard, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. We'll do it again, okay? Okay, man. I appreciate it. And everybody out there, drive safe. Keep the shiny side up, the dirty side down. If you can't keep the dirty side down, then stop and get yourself some healthy food. <laughs> okay. Good advice. So, okay, Don, about eight minutes. Um, some- okay. I just wanted to give a shout out to Wyatt. He was on Facebook. And um, as everyone knows, uh, Richard was, is a regulatory expert. He works for Trans Products. Uh, dot com and so hey Wyatt I hope you're listening and also uh, Rich was also our regulatory speaker for the last two years at the truck driver social media convention um, let's see I gave the little announcement about the convention it's probably going to be in the second uh, weekend of October and I just want to say our, our first year theme was United We Stand. Our second year theme was the Circle of Trust. And our third year theme is Inspired People Create Positive Action. And uh, we were inspired uh, by the Deaf Truckers United group who just had a victory. And if you think things can't change, well, yes, they can, because 45 drivers... uh, petitioned the FMCSA, and 40 out of 45 won the petition. And Well, that group never gave up, did they? Oh, and they are inspired. We They inspire us, and they are truly, they do not give up. They're pretty much relentless on their beliefs, and so we believe that's that's how we must be. And just to let you know that they spoke at last year's convention uh, with Elaine Papp there, and she, I, I know she was moved. Um, she has a lot of compassion. She uh, she works for the FMCSA, I believe. She's the medical chief. Um, I forgot her exact title, uh, but she's she's a wonderful person, and she's extremely compassionate. Anyway, this uh, took about six or eight months. Uh, to finally come to the uh, to the decision that they came to, but this is a huge victory for these people. So if you think you can't change things, you're wrong. You can, and uh, they are, like I said, they're going to be the inspiration for this year's uh, truck driver social media convention. Again, that's uh, inspired people create positive action, and let's all you know take take that. Uh, into consideration when we start thinking about all these uh, issues that we deal with. The um, <clears throat> the second announcement I want to make, I want to welcome um, XRS uh, Technologies, um, I believe, Alan. What? X- XRS Corporation. XRS Corporation. Uh-huh. And a new Blog Talk Radio uh, sponsor, and you see their banner up on uh, the Blog Talk Radio website. So... Um, we welcome them. They were a sponsor the last two years of the Truck Driver Social Media Convention, and I'm pretty sure they're going to be a sponsor again this year. So um, Yeah, they're big supporters of drivers. Big supporters. And uh, good people over there. We've gotten to know them. And, uh, so, I mean, there are supporters of drivers, believe it or not. Yeah, <laughs> we're, 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 we're very happy to have them on board. Um, 
Richard Wilson takes all, you know, he does this on his own time, you know. That was and transproducts.com, you know, his boss over there lets him do this. So, I mean, there's a lot of people jumping in here for support. Well, that's a that's a uh, another thing I I wanted to mention and it's it's funny you brought that up because um Richard's on the show tonight. He um he goes on a lot of shows uh, to help people, uh, they'll call them up and say, "Listen, we need clarification with this. We have questions about this." And he's always willing, after working all day and on his time, to get on these shows to support drivers. And you know, I don't think people realize all the extra work involved to answer emails. Which yeah, I know. Get on Facebook, answer questions, keep in touch with people. And, um, you know, we're just really grateful. And it's funny because we all get to be inspired by one another. You watch somebody like that. You watch somebody like DT, the Deaf Truckers United group. You watch uh, Kyla Lieberg with the I got about three minutes. Truckers Against Trafficking. And it's, it's contagious. And, and everybody, you know, just kind of works off of each other's energy. So thanks, Rich. Thanks, everybody. And we're really looking forward uh, to the convention uh, in October. Yeah, and uh, we're confirming everything up. So I, I had to tell you in the chat room to hold your tongue, Donna. You were you were wanting to put it out there. Oh, I know. There's, <laughs> I know. I can't wait. But <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll we'll make sure it's all confirmed first before we blast it out there. But if it all works out and everything, which it sounds like it is, it'll blow everybody away. So, but I got to watch your tongue there. You're gonna put, I know put it out there. Hey, okay, we're down to uh, less than three minutes. Thanks again, Richard. Really appreciate it. Alan Patches, good to see you doing better. And and uh, everyone else here on the line, I mean, uh, Illinois, Oregon, Texas, uh, Mississippi, just California. I see you there all over. So appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, it's all good. So be sure to bookmark us and add us to your favorites and uh, follow our show so you can be notified of upcoming broadcasts. And we will wind it down for now. So until next time, on behalf of Donna Smith, I'm Alan Smith. Drive safe, and thanks for listening.